want to do is uh, have us uh, continue in our series in Colossians. We're in chapter 2, going through verse 1 through 7. Uh, what we're going to be doing is we're looking at uh, God's advice for your best life. God's advice for your best life. How many people would like to live your best life? Come on. And so uh, anyway, let's uh, stand to our feet, jump to your feet, and let's read Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, going through verse 7. Paul writes to church at Colossae and says this, I want you to know how much I've agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea, for many other believers who have never met me personally. And I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. And I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. And in him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I'm telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. And let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the word in Colossians here. Father, I thank you for all the people that are here this morning. It's no, we know it's not by accident. As we pause, may we consider the wonder of your love. And Father, we know that you are the answer to our every concern, our every need, and our hearts are open to you. May we experience your love. May you... Speak to us. May you be the center of our lives and the very one who we fix our eyes. Thank you that you're the one that renews us and revives us, that your spirit is sent to reside inside us. Father, I pray that you would speak to us, that we'd hear your voice rising from the pages of Scripture, that you would pierce the roar of our doubts, that your word would come alive and illuminate our minds and hearts and understanding, cause us to have a moment where a light bulb moment in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Hey, everybody, you can sit down. So uh, Paul here receives the information about this church in Colossae. And what happened was is they were facing some great challenges as a generation there. So they needed a pathway. They needed a roadmap. So what he does is he unpacks nine rules, really, for life or nine ways to have your best life. Well, I heard this actor, Chris Pratt, maybe you know of him, on June 16th. He was honored and received the coveted Generation Award at the 2018 MTV TV and Music Awards. And in his acceptance speech, he rocked Hollywood with his nine rules for the next generation. And he leveraged his opportunity there that he had to speak into the next generation. All we're going to see here is that Paul does the same thing, though he's in prison, to a people he's never met and to a people that he's never seen. He does exactly the same thing, and he has nine points, just like Chris Pratt had nine points here. And he's writing to some people, they're under unbelievable pressure. Paul's concerned they're going to crack under the pressure here. So while he's in prison, he gets word of what's happening. And so this is what it looks like then, if you're new to church, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read uh, the verses again, we're going to explain the Bible and tease out the big points, and then we're going to apply those points to our lives. God's advice for your best life here. So I'm inviting you, wherever you're at in your journey, 
I'm inviting you to come with me here and experience what God has to say about this is how you could have the best life. Chapter 2, verse 1 of Colossians. I want you to know how much I've, I've agonized for you in the church Laodicea. And so the context there is this. The church is developing and the church is growing here. And Paul is in jail. So he's in, you know, locked up there. He's never been to Colossae, but yet he loves them. And so he writes to this Colossian crowd and additionally this neighboring Laodicean uh, crowd here. And according to church historians in Eusebius, what happened was, is that they were about to face a devastating, tragic earthquake, which was going to completely ruin all of the cities here in Hierapolis, Laodicea, and Colossae in AD 61, under the seventh year of Nero, the king there, Caesar. And so what happened was that Paul is mentoring, coaching up Epaphras, and like he gets word, today you get like a, like a text or an email, and he gets word that this is what's going on. He says, Paul! It's crazy what's going on down here in a Colossae. If you only knew that things were happening, he says, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. I, I could use some advice. Would you please, Paul, help me out here? So Paul says this, says, you know what? He says, I actually heard God's voice. I've actually heard God's voice for the community there at Colossae, or as it might as well be, Mesa, California. I heard God's voice. So I'm going to try to catch up everybody on what they should be doing in light of the times. He says, and I want you to know this, how much I've agonized for you. The anxiety, the weight, the crushing weight, the agony in my heart, the unusually intense conflict that I'm feeling here. This is because there's coming. There's coming a corruptive influence. These false teachers which are coming to Colossians. So he says, look, don't let them pull you out of the, the current there of God's will for your life. And so, uh, so he's dealing with them, but there he is in prison. So I just want to ask you a quick question here. What do you do when you're far away from a situation that you would really like to help, but maybe you're in a prison of your circumstances or situation what can you do? Well, Paul here, what he does is he prays for the church there in Colossae. And so um, so he's going to speak to them. And by extension, he's speaking to us the word of the Lord. And he says, I want you to be encouraged. So here there he says, I want you to see him in prison. It's like the Holy Spirit, God whispers him, Paul, they need to get some encouragement going on down there in Colossae. So Paul writes here and he says, you know, okay, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. Now, um, I don't know your story, but I just wonder maybe uh, if you've been discouraged lately or you're in a season of discouragement. But here's what I know is that life can really wear you down. You know what I'm talking about? And then sometimes you feel hijacked hijacked by setbacks and stumbles and fumbles and unexpected bumps in the road there. Sometimes you feel like it's a war zone. You have clashes with the kids, marital issues, you know, maybe extra drama with school starting. Are there any teachers in the room? And so, you know, fears and anxiety, health issues, you know, you can just feel depressed or tired here. So, Depression can tap you out. Depression can wear you out. And so, you know, and I really feel this. I really feel like there are some of us here that you're dealing with big doses, maybe massive doses 
of discouragement here. And it just tends to drain the life out of you. And so Paul hears the Holy Spirit say, get some encouragement going on down there. And the word encourage means to uplift and support. It means to, to fire up and to spur on and to inspire uh, one another there, to give courage. And so there are times where what God wants to do is he wants to, to give powerful words of encouragement over your life, to speak those over your life. Life-giving words here, to fill our cups with encouragement. And so, question. Are you better at life when you're discouraged or are you better at life when you're encouraged? Yeah, so number one in your notes, you're better at life when you're encouraged. In fact, the Bible puts it this way. The author of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, said, encourage one another monthly. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. said, encourage one another weekly. Or did he say, encourage one another daily? Yeah, now why would God say... Knowing your frame, knowing you're wired up, knowing he created you. Why would he say that you need to be encouraged on a daily basis? You need a daily dose of encouragement there. And you know what I, what I, what I really feel is true is it, is it, um, behind the scenes in the, in the, in the inner recesses of our heart, we can be starved for encouragement. It's true of the speaker this morning. And in Greek literature, one of its primary meanings was this. When he said encourage, one of the meanings was this. It was used of sailors cheering each other on as they were going to battle. That's where the word comes from. Where they, and I just want you to see the scene here. They're, they're getting ready to leave and sailors are leaving their wives and their children and, and, they're, and, they're, and they're kissing them and the tears are flowing and they may never see them again. They're beginning to, you know, a seaport there where they're, they're, they're going onto the ship there and, uh, uh, and they just want to do something. This is it, you know, and so they're going to fight the enemy there and protect, you know, perhaps the coastal city there that they were living in. And so this word encouragement began to emerge in, in the culture there. And so, uh, and so that's what it means here. And so I just want to take a moment and have a little bit of fun. Could we do that? Thank you. So, um, so I want to have a little fun. I haven't been here in a month, so I want to have some fun with you. So would you, would you join me here and see that, imagine that you are there. And the sailors are ready to set sail. Husbands are kissing wives, you know, on the cheek, saying goodbye to the kids. And, uh, they're, and they're, they're getting ready to cheer them off in the battle. And there you are. And you are one of the ones that is going to cheer them off the sailors, protecting your life, protecting the coastal city. There you are. So on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to join me and just give an imaginary shout out, just a shout of don't give up. You can do it. Scream, holler, whatever you want to do, sending them off to war on the count of three. Number one, I know you can do it. Number two, don't hold back. Number three, here we go. Yeah! Yeah! You can do it! You're going to win! Go! And our blessing of God. Yeah. So the Bible says, encourage one another daily. How many people could use a little encouragement like that every day? I could, I wish I recorded that. I'd play it every morning. And, uh, so anyway, so we need to be cheered on for the battle. That's where the word comes from. So to give out a big shout, you know, and so I have something for the ladies here, just for the ladies this morning. 
Proverbs 25, 11, taken out of the Message Bible, the right word at the right time is like a custom-made piece of jewelry. Ladies, is it good? I thought, I thought it was good. Okay, first, first Thessalonians 5, 11. Therefore, watch. Encourage one another and build one another up. So Paul's saying, he's hearing from, from God speaking to him, tell them that they must be encouraged. And so, you know, I want to be a, a person that encourages others. And so I'm flying back from San Francisco last week, and I get a text message from Garrett Castro, whose baby Maley is going to be taken C-section. And I get in around 11 o'clock, and I think, I've got to get to the hospital. I've got to be there for him. I had a tragic situation with one of my children, and there was nobody really there to encourage me. And I, and I just... Well, one couple, but anyway. Uh, so I just wanted to encourage them. I said, I have to be there. So I showed up at the, I uh, showed up at the hospital unannounced and, uh, kind of did the James Bond thing and I slipped by security and the, cracked the door, you know, and I slipped through the door, you know, and nobody's looking, you know. I said, Garrett. And I said, well, you're doing a James Bond. I said, yeah, I am. I said, how is it? He goes, Maley was born 17 months or 17 minutes ago and, uh, uh, Two pounds, nine ounces. Here's a picture of her right here. She's born at Loma Linda Hospital last week. And so, uh, so I, I said, well, let's, let's pray for Maylie. I just want to encourage him. And you know what then? The guy encourages me. And he sends me a text. And here it is. I quote. He said, please thank Sanctuary Church on behalf of the Castro family. Their prayers and supports have brought so much comfort, encouragement, and peace during the season. We know God is with us. And he's heard their prayers. He says, thanks for the outpouring of support and prayer. Sanctuary Church family has been our village of support. This is what the church should look like. Let's pray for Maylie right now. Father, we pray for Maylie. We pause. We ask your hand of healing upon her in the hospital at Loma Linda, help the doctors and the nurses. May she grow up to be healthy and whole and well and love you. Pray for Garrett and Kay in Jesus' name. Amen. So you know, another thing that encouraged me this week is I got, I'm not going to read the, the whole thing, but I'm actually going to read it, but, but it encouraged me. And you know what? And it, it, it encouraged me so much that um, like I put it in the kitchen there just in case somebody else might want to read it. You know what I'm talking about. Come on. Just in case, you know, one of the boys, maybe my wife, wanted to read it. So I kind of put it out there. Come on, don't laugh at me. You do the same thing. I don't encourage me so much that, like, I'm picking it up and, like, I'm reading it every day. Like, I read it. I knew what it said. And I read it again. And again. And again, you know. So anyway, so I'm just saying, you know what? The things that uh, you can build a culture of encouragement in your family in your church, in the workplace, but you have to get intentional about it here. And so, anyway, so um, point number two is this. You are better at life when you're not isolated. You are better at life when you're not isolated. And so Paul says this. He says, I want to encourage you, and I want your hearts to be knit together. In other words, you can't be strangers. Okay, the crowd is supposed to move toward community. And so Paul feels the Holy Spirit tapping on the shoulder and says, yeah, encouragement, but tell them that their hearts need to be knit together. Tell them that, you know, they can't just do life separate like that. We're designed by God, okay, to not to live in isolation. We were created. 
We were created to be connected in meaningful community. Think of this, the, the, the doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They exist in a triune community, and we were created in the image of God who is a community. So you find your greatest fulfillment in life uh, in community. And so think of it there in Genesis chapter 2, where God shouts from heaven, sees um, Adam alone, he says, it's not good that man should dwell alone. I didn't wire him up to live like that. It's not good that he'd be in that situation. So last week, I'm coming back from, uh, I said, from San Francisco. But um, I was staying in Oakland. So every day, took, did this thing in San Francisco. Every day, I'm going from Oakland to San Francisco on the BART. Okay, the Bay Area Rapid Transit, the BART. Okay, so I'm going Oakland, San Francisco, San Francisco, Oakland, Oakland, San Francisco, San Francisco to Oakland. And so I've never done that. And so I'm trying to get coached up, right? So I'm hitting up the locals when I'm when I'm about to get on, you know. And, and so these big, you know, subways and they go really fast. And also I said to say, I said, hey, how does this work? Like this, I'm going to San Francisco. And she says, you're going that way, and you know uh, the thing's coming. And she says, you got to push your way. You gotta push your way to get down. She goes, get in the crowd. So I'm getting in the crowd. No, she goes, no, you gotta push. I said, okay. And then you gotta really push and keep pushing till you get on. I said, okay, yeah, I got it. And so, so sure enough, the doors open. I'm pushing and pushing and, uh, you know, pushing my way. I'm feeling kind of uncomfortable. That's what's that, that's the culture, right? They're kind of shoving kind of politely. I'm trying to do the thing. And so I get on there, you know, and, uh, for about 30 minutes, you know, you just, you got all these armpits in your face, you know, and uh, for 30 minutes, the whole time. And so, um, so I'm taking this in, right? And like, I'm telling you, I am in survival mode. I'm in pure survival mode. I'm just trying to endure it, you know, just, just get this, hang on, just get there, you know. And, and so I uh, armpits in your face, you know, the whole time. Nobody says a word to one another. So I'm like, I'm thinking, I'm trying to understand the culture, right? I'm, I'm, I'm observing it for four trips, right? On my way back, four time, fourth time, uh, I noticed no one said a word to anyone else. And this is what, I, and then it dawned on me that this is what culture, that this was a window in the culture. I felt like God was, was speaking to me as like, look, that's how people live. They're in close proximity. They even push on one another. Okay. But there's no community though. They're in complete proximity to one another here. And so, uh, and so that's how life can be. That's how church can be. We can just come and leave and come and leave and be in a crowd and be sitting next to somebody and be in proximity to them, but never experience community. So Paul here, he hears the Holy Spirit say, tell them they, they can't be strangers, that they need to be knit together. And so it, uh, it's just, a, again, a window into the culture. Here. And so this is what it means. This is exactly what it means to be knit together. It means to walk together arm in arm. It means to be united, joined together where you're building relationships. And so and actually, there's a medical term which emerged from this, and I'm going to demonstrate it for you, but it literally means this, the mending of a broken bone. Are you ready for this? The mending of a broken bone here. And so what happened, what I did is I actually got a bone, and I'm going to show you how this works so you can really grasp the real meaning of this here. So... Uh, Anyway, I got multiple pairs of gloves. I think I'll try these ones. So I'm going to show you what it means. This is what it means when the Bible says that you need to be knit together. 
Here's what it means, okay? So it means this, that in life, in life, you just, okay, you experience this. You experience where you're broken, where you're disconnected here, where you're not united. And so what it means when he said, tell them that they must be knit together, it means to go like this. To be knit together is literally, in the original language, to mend a bone there. Where you go from being like this here, to being united, to being restored, to being mended together there. You go from being just disjointed and fractured in our brokenness there, to being connected, being knit together. I hope you enjoyed that. just so you don't get distracted, all right? So, so, but this is what I know. This is what I know, that, there, that it can be hard to experience that in church. be hard to experience that in marriage. It'd be hard to experience that in families. But think about that. It means you go from your brokenness where you are mended together. And so there's a couple things which undermine the process. Number one is this. Everybody is in process, Everybody's broken, and you know what? At some point, you hang around me long enough, and the brokenness of the speaker this morning, his brokenness is going to come to expression. And I may hurt you or say something or do something that I don't, it wasn't intentional, but you know what? We're in process. The other thing I recognize is this, is that God has dispensed immense grace to me, and uh uh, and so I need to exp- expense grace, dispense grace to others because they're going to anger you, offend you, hurt you. And so you got to keep forgiving and keep releasing offenses. And so I don't know where I came up, where I heard the term, but I heard this term of EGRs and that some people are EGRs, extra grace required. You know what I'm talking about? Come on. Come on. Extra grace Required, you think? Yeah, I'm sitting next to an EGR. So, uh, but you know what I came up with? Like, uh, just processing this, I was just mulling it over, and I thought to myself, you know what? Yeah, I- I've been aware of this extra grace required for for decades here, but you know what? Sometimes there is massive grace required. Yeah, if we're going to be mended together. So God's dream for the, the, the church there is that we'd be unified, broken, put back together, knit together in strong ties of love. And so your best, your best life is when you're encouraged, but your best life is when you're connected. It is. Okay, so verse 3. In him, that is in Christ, lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so saying, look, go to God first before you go to anybody else. Say, you need to look no further than Jesus eight days a week here. So we're always looking to our best friends or what is Dr. Phil or Oprah or podcast or Amazon.com. What about in him? Okay. Are hid all the hid the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In other words, if you want wisdom, like you go to Jesus, like James said, if anyone's lack wisdom and you do let him go to God. But he's got to ask, and God's generous, God will give to all, but you got to go to God here. And it amazes me how, how many people, they lose, they begin to lose their way, and then they like go to like, you know, nothing against hairdressers, but maybe go to your hairdresser. I mean, my hairdresser is awesome, godly 
person, but, but, anyway, but they go there, maybe the hairdresser, their neighbor or their colleague, whatever, and they don't get good advice and it makes a bad situation worse here. And so your best life here, your best life in Christ are hidden wisdom. So your best life here has God's wisdom. Okay. Notice it says that, uh, are hidden, hidden treasures. Now think about that because you got to search for treasure, right? You got to search, right? And so uh, they're not easy to find. And so if there's treasures there, but we have to seek treasure. We have to pursue treasure. We have to be intentional and chase after it, desire it, inquire, go ask God, go a little deeper there. And so do you think your life is better off with God's wisdom? And sanctuary said, number verse four, I'm telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. How many people know that everything you hear on the internet or in the news is not true? Okay, not all news is true. There is fake news that abounds. There is news that is suppressed. And in their day, like in our day, there was falsified information being pontificated in in the culture there. So you have false doctrine, well-crafted arguments here. And what you'd have is these seemingly well-crafted Plausible arguments, you know, they were persuasive, you know, dynamic speech to influence and to deceive you. And so people then and now, educated beyond their intelligence, okay, uh, can present arguments. And you know what? When you listen to them, you go, dang, pretty compelling argument that they, that was pretty compelling here. And so we're warned. Look, they're going to twist scripture. There's going to be all these newfangled doctrines and everything, but don't go there. Don't bite on it. They're just well-crafted deception here. And he's saying, look, there are strong currents, okay, trying to pull people away from the scriptures. And I'm going to expand on this next week here, but to deceive by crafty, cunning, persuasive reasoning, but it's just erroneous teaching there. And so he's saying, don't fall for it. You need to have a little discernment going on. So your best life. Yes, you're encouraged. Absolutely. Yes, you're connected. Yes, you have God's wisdom, but also you got to be on guard. You got to be on guard there in your notes. Point number four. So verse five, though I'm far away from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should. And your faith in Christ is strong. I just have to say, I just got to hit the pause button, time out. I just have to say that, you know what, like the last month, I love being on a study break, but I just have to really say that my heart is with you. And I just have to say that every Sunday, I can't, it's really, my mind can't drift far from just being with you. I love being with my family and love, you know, doing some other stuff, but my heart really is with you. And so he says here, I'm glad to hear you're living as you should. In other words, you're standing firm. You're steadfast. You're solid there in the faith. And he says, you know what? I'm so glad you're following Jesus. And there's no other place. He says, but your faith in Christ must be strong. Now, sometimes what happens is your faith gets stagnant. Sometimes your faith, you know, it seems like you hit the wall here. And so I just want to say this. There is always room for growth. There's always room for growth. And you want to experience growth with Jesus. So you got to get to know God by spending time with God. And you gotta, you gotta talk to Him and spend time with Him. And God will speak to you. But you gotta make time. 
And sometimes people, they just, they're really good at making excuses. You're not going to grow in, rela- in any relationship. Okay, vertically, horizontally. You don't grow if you don't spend time with that relationship here. So it's, look, I want you to grow strong here. But, uh, but we have to make time for things that are important to us here. And so you got to get God's truth in your head. You apply it to your life there. You dwell on it. And so it says here, like, look at it, it. You have the potential to grow. Watch, watch. Listen to me. You have to take it seriously. And really, you have to be willing to fight to make it happen. Because you know what, there's very few, the, the pull and the, 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 the tide of culture is not in that direction. So you literally have to fight if you, you want to get to the place of being strong in faith. So your best life in your notes, number five, will grow deeper in your faith in Jesus Christ. Grow deeper in your faith in Jesus. So um, growth is the most important part of this relationship. Verse six, and now... Just as you accepted and received Christ as Lord, you must continue to follow, or some of your Bibles read, to walk in Him. Our vision as a church is to inspire people to find Jesus and to follow Jesus and then to further His fame here. So this is a concise telling of God's will for your life. It's so short you could tweet it here, but this is God's will for your life here. And so... You start with Jesus. His hand is on the steering wheel of your life. Okay, but then he says, you gotta stay. It's not enough to start. You gotta stay. It's like, you know, when you sit down to eat, I got a gift certificate. Somebody gave me a gift certificate for like a hundred dollars. And like, a steak is a hundred dollars. I'm like, dang. So, but anyways, so I'm looking at the menu yesterday and all that. I like, everything is, is amazing. And they have these amazing appetizers, but you know what? The appetizer is not the main course. You start with the appetizer, then you, you move on to the main course. Jesus is not just some appetizer that you start with. He is everything. He is your life. In him we move and we live and we have our being. He is the main course. He is what life is all about. And so it says, as you, as you watch, as you received him, it says, then you're to continue to walk with him. That is the language of relationship. That is the language of friendship there. And so you continue to walk by faith as you received by faith, recognizing this relational component where you pray, where you hear, where you listen, where you talk, where you follow, where you're obedient, but to continue in relationship with Jesus here, to know him, to grow in him. So he says, now that you're settled, don't waver. Do what he would do. Pattern your life after him. Set your, you know, your goals to, to be like him. Newsflash, you started with him, continue with him. And so again, Paul is hearing all this. It's like God is whispering to him, like, tell them to continue. Tell them to keep on keeping on there. And so it is a word for us here this morning to be dependent, to stay on course here. And so I don't know what your next step is, but maybe it's to build some relationships. Maybe it's, you know, to to serve, maybe it's to grow in generosity, maybe it's to do rooted. We start rooted in a in a couple of weeks here. Maybe it's guarding a day off. Maybe it's prioritizing, you know, your relationship with your husband or wife. Maybe it's some change in your life there, but it's all about the next step that you can continually grow here. For some of you, it is to lead something. 
Some of you here, God's tapping you on the shoulder, and you're, you're kind of aware of that, but it's to lead something. So number six, your best life, to continually follow Jesus. Be encouraged, be connected, have God's wisdom, be on guard, grow deeper, but continually follow Jesus. And here's what I know to be true. As a church, we must continue because there are great deeds that are in danger of remaining undone unless we continue. God-inspired ideas. Maybe there's ideas God has given you that God wants to meet through you there. And so God wants to continue you know, to work in you okay, and to prepare you and to empower you to the work that he wants to do through you. So you've, you've got to continue. Not, verse 7. Let your roots grow down deep into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Number seven, your best life, your best life is rooted with other trees that got your back. How many of you want to be rooted with some people that got your back? Come on. Come on. How many people you just, you want to have some people in your life that have your back? All right, so you were designed to be intermingled with others, but you can't do it on your own. So life is better together, but you got to get into a grove. The people that can build you up. So we just have to be intentional about that. Some of you people, some people that go to church forever and, uh, and this never, this, this dynamic here, it never really happens where their, re- their roots grow deep and they they get planted in God's house here. So this is what God is speaking to Paul for the church, for us. Get some roots that are deep. Let them go deep down in rich soil. Pull out, you know, the nutrients of, of that community here. And then, and, and the Christ followers to be deep rooted, not to be shallow there. And so God wants you, you know, to be planted, you know, in a local church. If you don't have one, consider this one here, but not, you know, pop around and in and out and here and there and when I feel it. No, it says to be rooted there, not to be an island. So many people, they get hurt or wounded or back off. They become islands. It says, no, 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 be be rooted here. The Bible says in Psalm 1, look, do you want to have a blessed life? It says, look, this is how you have a blessed life. Be planted like a tree near uh, uh, living waters. It says its root also, or its leaf also shall not wither, and everything that they do will prosper. Okay, but it says, you shall be like a tree planted by the hydration of, of, of fresh water there. So Psalm 90 verse 2 continues this and says, says, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar. Psalm 90 verse 12. I, th- I, I thought, you know what? got to be something about the roots. Because why would God, of all the trees they can use, why are they talking about palm trees and why are they talking about cedar? So I did a little Google research. And I googled uh, palm trees and I found out, palm, did you know this, they never stop growing. They keep having these little projectiles that keep going out and they can suck up all the nutrients. There's that ball, but in the ball they keep, the, there's this process that they keep growing those little projections that can then pull out all the nutrients and that's how they can thrive as they do. And then I checked out a cedar 
And you know that all the trees in the planet, cedars, are like have like among the deepest roots of any tree there is. And the other thing that a cedar does, it does this. Watch. It does this. The, the, the cedars live in, in community, and all their roots intermingle like that. And that's why cedars can grow to be massive trees. And they don't, ever, they don't really get blown over because their, their roots go deep, number one, and intermingled. And that's a picture of the Christian life. There, God wants your roots to go deep. Okay? He's using the analogy of it. you are a tree, your roots go deep, and they get intermingled. I was in Glacier National Park doing all these crazy hikes. It was amazing, just stunning, seeing the resplendent majesty of the creation. And so, uh, but one thing that I noticed as I was going on all these hikes, you know, was that there were trees that were uprooted every single time. There's these little dinky, shallow root system. And when the winds, you know, and the storms came, the trees got blown over. I took Pictures of them, but I'm not going to bore you with that. But um, uh, but here's the point: is that that's like life. That's not a, just a picture of trees. That's a picture of your life. That when the tr- when the storms blow, if you don't have deep roots, you get knocked over. If your roots go deep down, you can survive storms. And so it's a picture of our of our lives here. And so intermingled with other people in community. And so Psalm 92 says, "Those watch." Those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish. Notice it doesn't say those, you know, that are, that are uh, superficial relationship to the house of the Lord. No, no, no. You want to flourish in life? You've got to get planted. And so uh, I really feel that we need to be reminded of this, that uh, we want to value, value what God values. And sometimes, you know, there can be prevailing systems of thought and attitudes in church world like, yeah, you know, I just kind of do my own thing, you know, and I just kind of go whenever I feel like, you know. And this is saying, look, do you want to flourish? If you want to flourish, you you got to get planted, and that's how you flourish, you know. And so uh, you got to just root down and grow up. And he says, also in the truth you were taught. So Epaphras is doing a good job teaching, you know, one of our values as a church as that, you know, uh, we teach God's Word. You know, that, that's what we do. Uh, you know, we're doing verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We read it. We explain it. We apply it. So, because we want you to love it, you know. I mean, we want you to be adorned, you know, with the doctrine of God and have a Christ-like life there. And so, uh, whatever you have to do to get it going, get it going. So, and then he says, and let your lives be built on Him. Your lives be built on Him. Check this out. Acts twenty thirty two. I commend you to the word of his grace, which is able to what? His word able to build you up. That's what it'll do. Jude 20 says, build yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So your best life, number eight, build a daily relationship and understanding of God. But again, you got to fight for it. It's not just going to happen. And so lastly, your best life, is to be thankful. Number nine, your best life. Have an attitude of gratitude. you got to make a decision every day. God deserves your thanks every single day. It's very important to live your life grateful. Let's think about, just think about your life right now. If you were to take inventory, are you grateful? Are you thankful? Are you full of appreciation? Are you full of gratitude? See, never underestimate its power. Never underestimate its power. You begin by remembering, rehearsing, like what has God, 
you know, done for you and who, who is he? And so what a powerful thing that it is that thanksgiving and appreciation be in our lives. And how powerful it is when you verbalize it, your gratitude. The Apostle Paul said this, we are bound to give thanks for you. So here's what I know. Gratitude, it'll change your life. Because gratitude alters the very atmosphere of your heart. It does. It'll alter the atmosphere of your heart. You know what gratitude does? It changes you from being a person, yeah, yeah, got to. Yeah, I got to do. I got to do. To gratitude change to, I get to. I get to. I get to serve God. I get to serve my family. I get to love my wife. I get to love. I get to. You know, so gratitude makes, you know what it does? Here's why you want to have gratitude. Gratitude makes you a great person to be around. Are you dating? If you're dating, you want to be attractive to the opposite sex. You have gratitude, and it makes you such an attractive person. But if you have ingratitude, it's ugly. I'm just telling you. As a guy, ladies, I'm just telling you. I, somebody's ingratitude, like, ugh. Ugh, it's just ugly. Have gratitude. There's a beauty that comes to your life with gratitude. You want to be full of gratitude. Here's another thing gratitude will do for you. Gratitude keeps you from, from an entitlement mentality. It's terrible to, to, have, to have a mentality of entitlement. It'll, it'll keep you from that. You see, God's will, the will of God is that you would be thankful. And so uh, I'm thankful for my family, for my wife. Thankful. I'm incredibly thankful for this church. You are a remarkably amazing church here, full of faith, full of fruit, full of service, full of fervency, uh, full of generosity here. You're fun. I love being a part of this journey. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm honestly from the bottom of my heart, I'm just, I'm grateful for you. And I just, I just need to say that. And so, um, that's it. These are the, these are the things, your best life. Rooted in him, built up, full of gratitude, growing deeper, being wise on guard, continually following Jesus, knit together in community, being connected, encouraged. It's awesome.